0: Hello and welcome to the latest racing news 365.com formula one podcast episode. My name is Balfe Baines and with me as always, our Asian correspondent, Michael Butterworth and editorial director, Dieter Rinken, Gentlemen, we are just a few short days away from the first race after our spring break. Dieter, I, I can never pin you down where you are in the world. Uh, Dieter, I, I assume you're in a car at the moment. Uh, absolutely as
1: you can see from the backdrop yes I'm in a car I'm parked at a, uh, a motorway services in the UK having landed about an hour and a half ago from um, from Cologne and uh, I got back yesterday from Croatia where I'd been on the rally Croatia I got back late yesterday afternoon so it was literally a matter of packing a suitcase getting to the airport first thing this morning uh, and here I am but rally Croatia was certainly certainly a wonderful experience I love rally uh, my, my original motorsport roots on rally and I, I really love rally i'm, I'm not saying it's better than, than than formula one not at all they're completely different and as i keep saying to people in fact i said it on croatian tv the other day because i said oh what's better rally or, or formula one and i said they're as different from each other as say rugby and football uh the mere fact that uh they both get played with a ball is about the only common thing in this case they get played with cars but they are completely different disciplines and one can be a fan and and a lover a passionate lover of both
0: yeah nothing they're not worse or better they're, they're just different uh so dita i'm going to call you mr worldwide from now on um, i can't pin you down uh but dita thank you so much for joining us uh michael how has your week been
2: uh, no exciting travel for me, I'm afraid, Balfe. Just uh, just in, in Beijing, as always, uh, counting down the days and crossing off the days in my calendar uh, until the end of this uh, four-week hiatus between Grand Prix. And we're almost coming to the end of it now, into the home stretch before Baku this coming weekend, which I'm very excited about.
0: I'm same as you, Michael. So, so excited. But before we preview the race in Azerbaijan this week, Dieter, there's been some change at mercedes Yes, indeed. Um,
1: uh, James Allison has come back as uh, the F1 Technical Director. As we know, about two years ago, he moved across, became Chief Technical Officer for the entire Motorsport F1 group, which includes the um, Mercedes Appliance Science Division. And he was doing a lot of work there on sports like cycling, on yachting, and also some of the uh, contractor work. For, for outside uh, companies um, no big surprise in fact I wrote to uh, Mercedes about a month back and I said you yeah, is are you going to bring back um, James Allison and no 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 plans to change and in fact um, Mike Elliott will be very much in Saudi Arabia this weekend, et etc., et cetera, et cetera. But let's be honest, the car concept, which was designed under, and I use that, that term uh, decidedly, under Mike Elliott, was not spectacularly successful. We all know that. So I'm not surprised that they brought James back. I mean, this, this does happen all over the place in, in motorsport. We take Ferrari. Every now and then, if uh, the car doesn't deliver what it, what it should or could, they call up. Rory Byrne who was their old chief designer in the Michael Schumacher and subsequent years and they say can you give us a hand so uh, that seems to be what they've done with, with uh, pulling James Allison back, let's be, let's be blunt James was responsible for the total technical department anyway, all that's happened is that he's now taking a closer keener look at the F1 team, the nature of it is rather interesting uh, because they've kept uh, Mike Elliott on and uh but it's something that over the years I've got used to with, with Mercedes. They do have a an unusual approach to uh to personnel changes. You know, we saw it with Paddy Lowe, uh, they were quite happy for him to go across to Williams as technical director, more recently with James Vowles. Uh so it appears as though they they do tend to release people. Uh Ann Rao, for example, was released immediately to go to the FIA. So it looks as though they do either try and, um, and keep the staff or let them go immediately, depending on the circumstance. So it will be interesting to see what James can do with the car, but above all, it will be very interesting to see how different next year's car is from this year's car and what went before.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what's going to happen over at Brackley and Brixworth, uh, Michael, there's been some news with, with sausage curbs
2: yeah. So sausage curbs. Uh, this is an issue that's uh, gained uh, quite a bit of controversy over over recent years. So sausage curbs uh, are little sort of humps that are added to uh, the inside of chicanes and, and corners, sometimes on the outside as well, to deter drivers from cutting corners and using too much uh, of the tarmac runoff to try to gain an advantage. But in recent years, we've seen an increasing number of instances where actually the sausage curb has has directly caused or certainly contributed to a much more serious accident. We saw an incident um, over the weekend at a race at Imola in a, a European Formula Regional event. A driver called Adam Fitzgerald suffered uh, some spinal fractures after he had an incident where he ran over the sausage curb, which launched him into the air, uh, and then and then sort of when he when he fell back down to the ground. Uh, that impact uh, seriously injured him. Um, his team took to Instagram to issue their disdain about the presence of these sausage curbs. And it's not an isolated incident. We, we've seen plenty in recent years. Last year in the Formula Two race at Silverstone, Dennis Hauger's car was launched into Roy Nassani, actually at sort of cockpit level uh, from having been launched into the air from the sausage cub, The halo there unquestionably saved him from uh, from serious injury. In 2021, Abby Eaton in the W Series uh, round at Cota. Uh, she had a, a spinal injury in 2020. Sean Gallale at Barcelona. In 2019, Alex Peroni in a horrifying accident uh, at Monza where he was launched into the air, landed pretty much upside down on the barrier and again the halo there very much doing his job saving him from serious injury and of course perhaps the most evocative one in 2018 sophia flursh in that horrifying accident at macau where she was launched actually into a, a a scaffolding that some photographers were in, and it's amazing that uh, that there wasn't serious injury or worse there. Um, but th- there's a mounting body of evidence here to suggest that these are actually doing more harm than good and and contributing to to these accidents where people are, are suffering injuries and potentially very serious injuries as well. When you have when you have back and spinal injuries at, at play, Lando Norris notably last year called on the FIA to ban them and. I, I think it's time something was done. I think the FIA need to be looking at these and recognizing that actually maybe there's another way of doing this. Maybe we ought to be taking these away.
1: Yeah, I, I must must agree with you. They certainly do need a second look. I mean, we the first came onto the F1 radar at, at the um, uh, Red Bull Ring, uh, where ironically the Red Bull teams lost two cars or two cars were very very badly damaged after being launched after the sausage curbs. Um, They do serve various purposes. You know, if we do have the sort of shark's teeth type curb, the drivers complain about those as well. So I think that uh, there's a reason, there's enough reason for for the FIA to look at the overall curb question. Uh, But ultimately, what we should never forget is that the curbs are there because drivers shouldn't even go anywhere near them. That's the the, the track limit. And if a driver does that, then, uh, you know, Frankly, he must know what the consequence could be. I realize that at times you can't stay away because you might get punted off and pushed wide or whatever else. But ultimately, uh, you know, if there was a brick wall there, you could bet your bottom dollar they would not have gone over it (laughs) or into it. So um, I think the whole question needs to be looked at very, very carefully on a pro and con basis. What are the pros of these things? What are the cons? What are the alternatives? And come up with something which can apply everywhere, including, and let's not forget, or curbs also need to suit the motorcycle people. Uh, so it's not that easy. You know, if you take the red Bull you take Silverson, all these circuits not only host Formula One, they don't only host Motor GP, they host all sorts of categories. And whatever curb solution is found actually needs to apply to all the categories that a circuit hosts. And I know right now there's very close cooperation between the FIA and FIM, the motorcycle equivalent, on curb design to try and come up with an optimum solution.
0: It's definitely a hot topic at the moment. Another hot topic is Hyundai uh, data with a possible F1 entry uh, you wrote an article on racingnews365.com a website
1: correct. I mean, uh, certainly I I wouldn't like to portray that that Hyundai are lining up to join next year, but it's certainly on their radar. I spoke to Cyril Abitbol while I was on Rally Croatia, of which uh, uh, we'll we'll talk about shortly, but I spoke to him about it there and he basically made the point that Hyundai Group needs to look at the optimum platform to showcase their various technologies, in particular electrification. Formula 1 from uh, 2026 onwards is moving to a 50-50 IC engine electrification sort of split. Uh, I believe that the electrification side will grow thereafter 2030. So, yeah, of course it's on their radar, but frankly, that said, it should be on every OEM's radar. Uh, If an an OEM doesn't at least say what about Formula One, then frankly their motorsport department aren't doing the job. The answer could be yes, but we reject it. That's great, but you should actually be looking at all options on a regular basis. Uh, Porsche did, for example, ultimately it came to naught, but they looked at it. Hyundai are going to look at it. I'm 100% confident they'll look at it, but it may only be a 50-50 chance of coming in. But the important thing is that Formula One is on the radar of various OEMs.
2: Yeah, I think when um, Cyril Abitbol joined Hyundai at the beginning of 2022, there was a lot of two plus two equals five from uh, interested observers in Formula One uh, and and motorsport more generally as to why Hyundai were hiring somebody like Cyril Abitbol, who had four years at Team Principal at Renault, two years at Caterham, had been in Formula One pretty much constantly since 2001. He'd never been involved in rallying before. So why, why would Hyundai hire him? Because the bulk of their international motorsport program is the WRC. So why would you hire somebody with only or chiefly Formula One experience? Uh, Obviously, Cyril's got a lot of experience and contacts within Formula One. So people maybe thought that Hyundai were doing a little bit of due diligence to, as Dieter said, at least explore the possibility uh, of of joining Formula One at some point in the future. Cyril, when he had that four-year stint as team principal at Renault, you know, he was moved aside at the end of 2020. They probably didn't really push on as much as the team or he would have wanted to saying that since he's left they haven't really pushed that much on further on either they haven't broken out of the midfield really and uh, I wonder if there's a part of Cyril that feels that he has unfinished business with F1 and that he'd like to have another go
1: well, I, I think there is that to it I mean, ultimately Every single motorsport person Particularly the sort of top managers Would love to have Won a world championship On their on their CV So, of course, yes, absolutely And I've known Cyril for many, many years Probably going on for 15 years now And I know that he's a competitive individual uh, So, yeah, I, I would guess That his ambitions lie At the top level Wherever that may be um, Equally, you know At, at the moment uh, For Hyundai Rally is where they want. to be because that suits their sort of brand strategy and whatever else um ultimately the um uh, the overall question is what will suit Hyundai best who knows they might even do it with one of the group brands you know they've got Kia they've got Genesis which is their their sort of more upmarket um uh brand so you've got Hyundai which is almost the daily uh the daily brand let's call it in in um in broader automotive terms, the sort of Skoda or VW brand. Then you have Kia, which is slightly upmarket from that, but also a bit more sporty. And then you have Genesis, which is the sort of Audi of the of the um, uh, of the group. So who knows? They may turn around and say, "Well, now that Audi's in, let's go into Formula One with Genesis." But I, again, I think the important thing is that uh, that they are actually actively. Considering Formula One,
0: you mentioned uh, Rally Croatia earlier, Di. What was your experience uh, of, of the rally out there?
1: Well, it was, of course, a pretty sombre event because of the the unfortunate tragedy with Craig Breen last week. And in, in testing for the event, um, I'd I'd gone across to basically try and get a feel for the broader question of rally and where rally is going to in the future. Um, and so, accordingly, um, you know, the, the the Craig Breen incident was discussed. The FIA is busy with a a review of what happened and I say review because they can't really investigate it was a private test that this happened at so of course they're very interested to know what happened I believe it was an extremely s- slow speed incident uh, effectively a freak incident um, uh, I'm, I'm hearing speeds of well under 50 kilometers an hour for example uh, at the point of, of impact so from from that perspective um, the, the uh, safety department of the FIA is getting involved in this, they are having a look at it. But as I say, it was a private test session, and therefore, really, it's a, it's, it's a matter for Hyundai to communicate and, and talk about. Uh, but for the rest, it was a fascinating event. My first time in Croatia, uh, we had sort of 15 to 18 degrees in the city of Zagreb, where the rally is based. Yet up in the mountains where I went on Saturday afternoon, uh, there was snow. <laughs> so you had these sort of extremes. And in fact, you can hear that I'm, I'm speaking a bit sort of stuffily because um, the climate changes and whatever, I don't think did, did um, too much good to my, to my, my flu uh, sensitivity shall we say so yeah but it it was a fascinating incident um what was also very interesting was the fact that the the number of people that are working in there who've come across from formula one and again we can look at the Cyril Abitbol uh, analogy that ultimately motorsport is motorsport they may be slightly different you may you may uh play on dirt with one and on tarmac with the other one or predominantly dirt but but ultimately it's motorsport is motorsport and people love sport and therefore they're in there and from a Cyril perspective whether he's managing a race team or a rally team the fundamentals are the same you've got to ensure that your staff produce the best car that you have the best driver that politically you're you're okay with all the rules and regulations and then put it all together and hope that the motor manufacturer gives you bigger amounts of money every year and that's really the basics of it and I think that um, that they're doing very, very well on it.
0: Moving on to Formula One, Dieter, uh, Carlos Sainz' writer review request was rejected. He was very vocal on, uh, on social media. What's your thoughts?
1: Well, I wasn't surprised, frankly. Uh, you know, when, when I heard from Fred Vasseur that they were considering um, submitting a, a request for review for, of this this time penalty that, that Carlos was handed down in the Australian Grand Prix for basically tipping Fernando Alonso into a spin, um, I was surprised that they'd done that because I could not see them succeeding. Why do I say that? There is no doubt that he did uh, tip uh, Fernando into a spin. Uh, but above all, um, the to, To have a right of review granted, you need to produce new evidence. And I couldn't see what new evidence they would actually be providing. Now, just for the clarity of our our listeners, the process is basically um, an incident occurs. The stewards either see it or the race director flags it up to the stewards. They have a look at it. They decide on a time penalty, which cannot be appealed, and they hand down their penalty accordingly. Now, in this particular case, when you apply for a right to review, you're actually saying we have new evidence. And I sort of wondered what new evidence they could bring to the party. And as it turned out, they didn't have any. I frankly believe that what they were hoping for was maybe a sympathetic hearing because of the chaotic nature of the the Australian Grand Prix, because of the very emotional outburst from Carlos at the time, that they thought, okay, well, we really have nothing to lose. Let's apply for it. And if we get a sympathetic hearing, we may get a couple of points out of it. Let's not forget right now, points are very, very important to Ferrari and for Ferrari. So that, that's my take on it. But overall, I was not surprised.
0: Let's talk about the, the race that's happening this weekend in Azerbaijan. Michael, we know the walls are unforgiving. What's your thoughts? What do you think will happen in the race this weekend?
2: Well, first of all, I mean, we've had this four week gap and now we've got five races in six weeks. So uh, everyone who's uh, been desperately searching for their fix of Formula One is going to have plenty uh, over the next couple of months or so. Um, of course, this weekend at Baku, we've got this new sprint format. We've got uh, the, the extra qualifying session instead of the the rather pointless FP2 on Saturday, where the the the, the cars couldn't really be changed very much because they were in park fermé conditions because of the qualifying session on Friday. Um, in terms of Baku suiting uh, suiting the cars from a performance point of view it's hard to look past Red Bull really I mean the, the drivers are flat out for over two kilometers uh, from the end of turn 16 right to turn one uh, there's a huge amount of full throttle there we know that the, the Honda engine is very very potent we also know that uh, the Red Bull's DRS is extremely potent and much more effective than seemingly any of the other cars but of course uh, Baku like you said Valve the walls are unforgiving there's a lot of potential for safety cars, for virtual safety cars, for red flags. We had two virtual safety car periods last year. Uh, in 2021, we saw two safety car periods and a late red flag and restart. And of course, that famous incident, uh, incident where Lewis Hamilton pressed the magic button, went straight on and uh, and finished 15th or so. Um, And Baku, it it seems to be a trend in Formula One at the moment of street circuits, but fast street circuits. You know, when you look at some of the the street circuits Formula One has had over the years, the obvious one is Monaco, but we've also had Singapore, we've had Valencia... Quite sort of tight, twisty, technical circuits. Now we have Baku, which is very fast. We have Jeddah, which is very fast. This year, later on the calendar, we've got Las Vegas coming on the ca- on the calendar for the first time. And if all the renderings and uh, all of the uh, all of the assumptions that people have are correct, that's going to be extremely fast as well. In fact, even Singapore is going to be faster this year because uh, they've taken away a lot of the a lot of the slow corners towards the end of the lap because there's some planned development work. Uh, that taking place in Singapore so for the next few years they're going to have a long straight towards the end of that uh, end of that track as well but um, assuming we have an incident free race uh, I think it's very difficult to look past Red Bull and uh, and Max Verstappen, who will be bidding to be the first ever repeat winner of uh, of the of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, because we've never had one before.
1: What we found in, in Baku, which is a rather interesting statistic, is that generally, if we have a chaotic Formula 2 race, we have a an orderly procession on Sunday. And it's almost as though the drivers are having a look at it and saying, oh, oh we better be careful, because look what happened in the F2 race. And therefore, they sort of back off. If the F2 race goes well, they turn around say oh well that was okay so we can really go for it and then of course it becomes chaotic but a couple of points here first of all the the schedule the timetable has not yet been finalized for the simple reason that they don't yet have uh, world motorsport council approval on the uh, sprint race uh format so having two qualifyings so one qualifying for the sprint race one qualifying for the main race which of course is what formula one is hoping to experiment with the world motorsport council meeting And I believe that uh, that's where it should be approved, but let's hold back before we we do that. And uh, the other thing that I think is interesting is that because of this real long full throttle element, um, I think we'll find that power units could start coming under pressure. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have one or two fairly spectacular blows.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 super excited for the race, uh, Michael, Dieter, and I will be back next week to debrief the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We'll see you then.